Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We've talked a lot about that invitation over the years around this church. I'd like uh, to ask you to consider what Jesus is really inviting you to here. What is he really inviting you to? I think some of us have a small view of rest. Uh, some of us think rest is like taking a nap or shirking responsibilities or leaving all the dishes in the sink or something like that. I wonder if the invitation that Jesus is offering to us is greater than we could ever ask or imagine. To the weary and burdened, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. Corinne answered the question, what does rest feel like? What would Jesus' rest feel like? I wonder, what, what do you think? What would your answer be? What would your answer be to that question? What does Jesus' rest feel like? Think about that for a second. I was in a conversation with some friends recently and kind of crazy conversation and the question was raised, if you could only describe Jesus in one word, what would that one word be? If you could only describe Jesus in, on the earth, like walking around, doing his ministry, what one word would you use to describe Jesus? Legit. I like that. That's a, le that's a legit description. How about somebody else? You could just yell it out. It's okay. Love? Jesus love? Yep. What about his posture? Like, what was his posture like? Somebody back there? What was it? Compassionate? Yeah, for sure. Somebody over here said something? Gentleness? Yeah. Yeah, he said he was gentle. Absolutely. Anybody else? Upright? Peace? Confident? Now we're getting somewhere. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. What'd you say? Relaxed. How about that? That's the word. Relaxed. Jesus was always busy, but he was never rushed. Jesus uh, was purposed, but he was never grasping. Jesus was relaxed. Jesus was constantly challenged, but he was always content, even at the cross. All of Scripture describes Jesus, like the whole thing. All of Scripture points us to Jesus, but the four Gospels give us our fullest picture of Jesus in one section of Scripture. 89 chapters, a biblical text. We learn from Jesus on every page of the Bible, but in the Gospels, his miracles, his teaching, his vulnerability, his priorities, his deep relationship with his Father. There's one spot in all of that where he opens up his very heart. It's here where he describes himself. He says, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Nothing exacting, nothing demanding, no presumption, no expectation. Jesus says, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. The writer of Hebrews chapter 4 is going to remind us of Jesus' invitation to rest. Jesus is the only one who can bring soul rest. And Hebrews chapter 4 talks about rest in kind of some big ways and then at the end points to Jesus. If you were here last week as we talked about Hebrews chapter 3, you'll remember that it ends with this 
whole generation missing out on the blessing of God. Chapter four reminds us that the rest promised by God is still offered to you and still offered to me. So here are the first eight verses, if you're following along in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter four, verses one through eight. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have the good news proclaimed to us just as, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on my oath and my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later, he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, right here, right now, the invitation to Jesus' rest is being offered to you. This passage of scripture uh, quotes the Genesis narrative on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Was God being lazy or passive when he rested or was something else happening? On the seventh day, he stopped. On the seventh day, he ceased. On the seventh day, he rested. I believe what happens next is God begins to partner with his creation in continuing to create. Certainly after the crucifixion and resurrection, we become participants with the Trinity in the establishment of a new creation, the kingdom of God, to live on earth as it is in heaven. And each and every one of us bring fragments or flashes of this new creation to life in the midst of our crazy, dark, sorrow world. In the letter to the Hebrews, uh, there's five different pictures of the way rest is used. So I just want to give you these real quick. When we think about rest, the writer of the Hebrews has these five different ideas in mind. The first is heaven. When we think about rest... The writer's thinking about heaven. Ultimate rest, one day. Secondly, the present rest, like in the here and now, like the rest in the enjoyment of our riches in Christ. We've been given everything we need right here, right now to enjoy and rest. Thirdly, our future enjoyment the eschatological enjoyment of all that God wants us to enjoy, our full inheritance, like one day it's going to come, the future enjoyment of all that God has for us. Fourthly, a specific or particular blessing in the future, like there's something specific that will bring us rest, a particular blessing that'll bring us rest. And then lastly, the writer has in mind this when he talks about rest, a peaceful life now as Christians. Peaceful life now as Christians. So verse 9, 10 and 11, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who rests 
for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. So let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. You can hear a little bit of the echoes of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. I want you to hear Matthew 11 in the message paraphrase. Jesus says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Many of us equate rest maybe with some form of escape uh, from the craziness or the criticisms of the world. Maybe some of us equate rest with, you know, like mindlessly scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Reddit or Netflix. Uh, the biblical definition for mindlessly scrolling is drifting. Or maybe we find ourselves withdrawing, having another glass of wine maybe, take the edge off end of the day, or disengaging from hard conversations. The biblical definition for withdrawing or disengaging is hardening of the heart. Biblical rest is not so much about a time or place as it is about a way of life. Jesus knows how to live and love from a place of rest, and he says, he'll teach you, he'll teach you, he'll teach us if we'll come to him, if we'll learn from him, then we too can live and love from a place of rest. Jesus knows this. Busyness is not just your disordered schedule. It's your disordered heart. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's not just about your schedule. It's about your heart. And he says we can enter that rest in verse 11. But it's, there's going to need to be an action on our part. And it's not going to happen by bringing order to our schedules. It's going to happen when we allow Jesus to bring order to our hearts. I'm learning this lesson a really hard way. Let me just illustrate, quick illustration. Uh, we were in Birmingham this uh, last weekend um, for um, moving in our daughter. Our uh, AGB is moving in, moved into Sanford for her senior year. And we cannot believe that it's her senior year, but it's move-in weekend. Classes start tomorrow. And AGB and Adele and I plan to meet for a really early breakfast. And all of us were just going to hang out. And Christy was with some moms who were moving in their freshman girls into Sanford. And the moms were, you know, crying and everything. And so she was there to comfort them. And I was with our girls. We were just totally goofing off, like we're just having a blast. And... Um, I hadn't seen AGB since I was in the hospital a couple of weeks ago. And so she was kind of concerned, like, how are you, dad? And, you know, can, you, can I see your stitches and all of that stuff? And so after we got uh, kicked out of Chick-fil-A, uh, we got the chance to talk a little bit about, uh, little bit about what was going on. And um, got in the car, AGB and I, and uh, Adele and her daughter were in another car. And all of a sudden, boom, we got a flat tire. Oh, man, on the side of the road. Uh, we got a flat tower. And so HB and I jumped out and um, we're figuring out what to do, grabbing the jack, getting all this stuff together, tire iron. And I start loosening the, the, the lug nuts, you know, I start pulling those things up 
And AGB's like, let me do it, Dad. I'm like, no, no, I got it, I got it, I'm cool. She's like, no, no, let me do it, Dad. I'm like, no, I got it, I got it, it's cool. And I like pulled up on one and my stomach, ah, oh, it just hurt. And she saw me wince. She goes, Dad, let me do it. I'm like, okay, okay. So I hand her the tire iron and she's like, I got this, Dad. You've taught me how to do this. And so she's doing it and I'm getting down with the jack and, you know, I'm, uh, look, we're, I'm under the car and setting the jack. She says, Dad, what are you doing? And I said, I'm setting the jack. So she's under the car and I'm under the car and we're looking at each other kind of face to face. We're, you know, in the street. And she goes, Dad, you taught me how to change a tire. I know how to do this. This actually happened last year on move-in day. Don't you remember? True story. <laughs> last year on move-in day, flat tire in AGB's car. So sure enough, she, you know, gets it all going and she says, Dad, I can set the jack and I can change the tire. And then this is what she said. Dad, let me do this for you. Rest. Let me just ask a question to all the dads in the room just real quick. On a scale of one to 10, with one being completely restless and 10 being at complete rest, how would you do if your daughter is changing the tire while you're sitting on the curb? Give me a number. Help me not be alone in this. <laughs> Dad, let me do this for you. Rest. I had such a hard time sitting on the side of the road See, the problem is not my busy schedule. It's not my disordered schedule. What I was realizing in that moment, the problem for me being able to rest is my disordered heart. Dad, let me do this for you. Just rest. Next couple of verses in Hebrews 4 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. These last couple of verses here are the Second ending, it's the ending of the second warning passage in the letter to the Hebrews. We said a couple of weeks ago that with each warning passage, there's a warning and a consequence. The warning here, I mentioned it last week, began in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, carries all the way through this point. The warning could be summarized this way listen, listen to avoid the hardness of heart and unbelief. And the consequence of not listening is you'll miss out on God's rest. I want my response to be like that of a child. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. For sure, these verses are talking about listening to the Bible. For sure, these verses are talking about the Bible. But these verses are also talking about Jesus as the Word the Bible is the only book that's alive and active. It's the only book that has the power to divide soul and spirit. It's the only book that can judge the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. If you want to fully live into the rest Jesus offers, the rest for your soul, then this book is not just a book. It's your very breath. It's your lifeline. 
It's not just a guide, it's a companion. It not only instructs us on how to behave, but it gives us the full measure of how to believe and how to live that out. If we're gonna learn from Jesus, then we're gonna need to, then we're gonna need to submit every day in our ordinary walking around kind of life to this living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, mysterious, miraculous, and merciful word of God. The Bible is the only book that judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And I think that is really good news. We don't have to judge the thoughts and the attitudes of anyone else's hearts. The Bible does it. Nothing is hidden from God. Everything is seen and known. This is the purview of the word of God. And I believe this is where the battle is. This is where the battle lies. This is where sin takes shape in the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. We were reminded last week in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. The thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is where we think about forgiveness. This is where we think about reconciliation. It's here in the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart where we choose if we're gonna be afraid or worry or be overwhelmed by anxiety. It's here where we allow anger to remain or we're gonna get rid of it. It's here where we decide if we're gonna stay or we're gonna leave. And for many of us, it's here where we decide we're gonna love freely or we're gonna self-protect. This is the battle, I think, right here. If we choose to acknowledge it, the reason that so many of us are tired and weary is because we're in a battle. It's probably the most real battle that most of us will ever face. Let me just illustrate it this way. I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but there are times when my mind plays tricks on me. Anybody's mind ever played tricks? Anybody? Yeah, I didn't think so. It's just me. My mind plays tricks on me from time to time. But 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, I have the mind of Christ. How does that work? We have the mind of, I have the mind of Christ. And yet every so often my mind plays tricks on me. Here's Jeremiah 17.9. This one feels true to me sometimes. The heart is deceitful above all things against which there is no cure. Who can understand it? But then in Ezekiel chapter 36 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will remove from your heart the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's where the battle is. The battle is believing that I've been given this new heart. I'm not bound anymore to the heart that is deceitful above all things. There are times in which that old heart wants to raise itself up and it happens in the thoughts, it happens in the mind, it happens in the attitudes of the heart. That's why I think this invitation to come to Jesus is so incredible. The invitation to come to him in the midst of this battle, not having to figure it all out, not have to solve it, but to come to him in the midst of it all. It's, just, it's, this, it's this inner turmoil where Jesus wants to bring order. It's to this kind of struggle that makes us all so weary to which Jesus offers rest. It's where we're free to pray for the rest of Jesus, the peace of God to be our reality. We prayed this this morning, earlier this morning. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is only one way that this does not work. It's to absent ourselves from this wonder-working word and the word, Jesus. John's gospel begins this way. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word, Jesus, was with God. And the word, Jesus, was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. And through Jesus, all things are made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews concludes chapter 4 by a section that brings us back to Jesus. Check out verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We began this message by hearing the invitation that was given to the weary and burdened to come to him and here again. We hear the invitation given to the weary, given to the tempted, given to those who are working so hard to keep it all together. Jesus says, come. Our great high priest who is gentle and humble in heart. He's so gentle. He's so tender that he doesn't just sympathize with us. He empathizes with our weakness. Empathy, right? You guys know one who understands and shares in our suffering. And he says, come, come to me. Will you come? Will you come with your schedules? Will you come with your temptations? Will you come with your weaknesses? Would you come? Will you come with the very thing that wears you out? The very thing that causes you to be weary? I believe that our ability to rest is directly proportional to our ability to trust. Do you trust Jesus? Jesus actually invites us into the throne room not to offer up some kind of sacrifice or wallow in the ashes of self-pity, but coming courageously, believing, trusting that only in Jesus can we receive what we really need, which is his mercy and his grace. That's where we find his rest. Rest for our souls. Let me close with one story and a verse. Uh, many years ago, I worked at a church with a guy who was incredibly put together. And he had a real high value of excellence. So everything he did was excellent. And he seemingly had answers to all of life's biggest problems. He was a great listener and he gave great advice. And he believed that if we planned hard enough, that if we worked hard enough, that we could control and manage 
that if we were smart enough, if we were clear enough, then things would happen. And for a while, it seemingly worked. This guy orchestrated programs that attracted people to our church almost every night of the week. And he asked a lot from us, a whole lot, and he expected us to keep up. (laughs) And I knew then, and I really know now, that I was completely exhausted. To keep up, Christy and I fell into the trap of dividing and conquering. We would meet for dinner, and she'd give me the kids... And she'd kiss the kids and she'd go up to the church and I'd take the kids home. Or we'd meet for dinner and I'd kiss the kids and go back to the church and she'd go back home. And it became unlivable. And it was that which precipitated our move to Georgia almost 20 years ago. We couldn't do it. We were exhausted. A few years later, this leader became acquainted with suffering and sorrow. Couldn't manage it, couldn't control it, and his life slowly began to change, and then it radically changed, and he's actually the first person that I ever heard use the phrase, I am learning to live and love from a place of rest. It wasn't his disordered schedule, it was his disordered heart. How about yours? How about you? I'll close with this verse from Deuteronomy 33, verse 12. Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him. For he shields him all day long. And the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Let's pray together. Jesus, many of us in this room are tired and worn out, and some of us are burned out. Many of us are in need of your mercy and grace. So thank you for your invitation to come. Would you give us the courage to come to you to recover our lives? We need you to teach us how to take a real rest. We need you to teach us the unforced rhythms of grace. So would you help us to keep company with you, to learn to live freely and lightly. And in these moments, Jesus, would you help us to respond to your invitation to come, whether that be through praying with somebody sitting next to us or through these prayer advocates here in the back or respond through communion, or respond in silence, or respond through song. In these next moments, I pray that you would give us the courage to come to you, to respond to you, so that we might find rest for our souls. I pray in Jesus' name.